big red button, even though I don't think, given both of our recording setups, the button is no longer red. No, no, I have a little red button. <clears throat> oh, well, mine's not. Mine's a small white microphone. I've heard that about you. Mr. Lennon, the nights are dark. The uh, The darkness is long. How you doing? I, do you know, I'm all right, Mr. Cosgrove, all right. It's, it is dark here, but I mean, mm. it's, it's gone eight o'clock my time. Um, it would be, <laughs> it's six o'clock my time. Yeah, it'd be unusual if it, uh, if it wasn't dark. But, uh, you know, all, all, is, all is well in my world. Um, good, good. As I dare say we will get to. But enough of this nonsense. Uh, <laughs> what are you writing with it on, TJ? I'm writing with the stumpy remains of a Blackwing 4. It has Steinbeck and, and it has Stein become a golf pencil. Uh, it is tiny. It's too small really to write with. I, I used it before the show and kind of used it beyond the the time when it'd be appropriate to use it. But now I'd, I'd written my show notes before, so I kind of was like, I don't want to change the show note now. So I'll just, I'm using uncomfortably a, this tiny Blackwing 4 to write all of our show notes tonight. And then it will go in the stub jar later this evening. So Blackwing 4 on my normal notepad, which is almost gone. I think this was made yeah. for a coding book that I got. I came with it and it's meant for doing all your notes on coding. And I haven't really written any notes about coding in it. I've just used it for the show. Um, but maybe maybe I could pick your brains about getting a, a notepad type situation with tear off sheets. I don't need a book. I want something that I can tear the sheets off um, for podcasts. Maybe that's a, an episode unto itself. <laughs> well, I mean, I could certainly turn it into one. Um, although... <laughs> Although the answer, I think, is pretty straightforward. I can hear, yep, yep, I can hear Justin shouting it. Um, it's a Rodea. Uh, it's a Rodea number. Uh, insert your favourite size and number here. We've got a, a oh, variety used, of sizes. Yeah. I used to use the little tall skinny one for show notes yep. way, way back when. I might go back to that. That was a nice notebook size. Well, there you go. Uh, Expect an order presently. Well, there we go. Superb. Uh, that, my work here is done. I might as well go home. Oh, hang on. <laughs> what are you um, writing with? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I've got a Steinbecken, uh, a, a phrase of yours that I'm now stealing mm-hmm. uh, for, for posterity. So uh, the, what have I got? I've got the Musgrave Tennessee Red is a Steinbecken. Uh, so it's at that lovely length where it feels really balanced and, you know, just writes beautifully. And then I've got a Blackwing Pearl, which is kind of on the nose. It's right there. Uh, so... Uh, give it, I don't know, half a show note and, and it might might well start going to the uh, towards the golf pencil stage. I always find that um, whenever I'm writing or writing down Tennessee, it's always like that spelling test. It's how many how many double letters has that bloody word got in? It's double N, double S, double E, but there's also a single E and another single E and a T. And it's like there's no easy rhyme. So Mississippi is M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I, right? Yep. Well, I think. Sounds right. We'll fix it in post. Uh, Tennessee is T-E-N-N-E-S-S-E-E. It doesn't really have the same cadence. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just... The rule of thumb, I think, with Tennessee is double everything. Uh, and then just just go back and go, no, that doesn't look right. Yeah, two That's T's, you got it wrong. One mm, T, yeah. four E's, two N's, two S's. You're sorted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've no idea how they came up with these names and these spellings, but uh, that's an episode again of its own. <laughs> uh, and I'm writing in my my podcast book, which I'm, I'm you know, I'm, oh, what, what are we in now? The last, the last fifth, the last sixth, perhaps. 
uh, of Whoa, what's the, that in American fractions? How many sixteenths? Oh, heavens, yes. Fourteen? Fourteen uh, sixteenths? You yes, can call let's that go for seven that. Seven-eighths? Three oh, and a half-fourths? I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing a thing called Elevate. Um, it's a, an app for iOS. Okay. And it's, it's one of those... <laughs> ah, well, just as if by magic, one of my co-hosts chipped in. Spice, what, what is it you're trying to say? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have a couple of co-hosts tonight. Uh, Spice and Charlie. Uh, and I believe that Spice is letting Charlie know that he is in her seat. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think that's broadly what's happening. Uh, he's completely ignoring her and is out like a light. Uh, and she's looking at me. I think she wants me to take some sort of master role here and sling him out. Imploringly. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think she, she, actually, she wants him slung out definitively. She's going to go now and um, bite his tail, I think. Uh, well, anyway, so uh, if she chips in again, uh, that was spice, ladies and gentlemen. Um, uh, where was I? What was I talking about? Oh, yes, uh, Elevate. So it's one of those brain training games. Okay. Um, and it uh, essentially it sort of just gives you five little different exercises each morning. And they're timed and they're quite short. Uh, but it's to sort of keep the brain ticking over. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is because if... Uh, why do I keep saying ladies and gentlemen? I've become Terry Wogan all of them. No idea what's going on. If your wife tells you everywhere you're losing it, you keep forgetting things. I think you might have Alzheimer's. Once you pass 50, that becomes vaguely threatening. So I thought, <laughs> oh dear. right, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and get some brain training. And this was the, you know, Apple's best app, blah, blah, blah. And it is really good. And it has some really good games and it gets you, it certainly gets my mind going. And there's um, math, uh, which is maths in English. Um, <laughs> then there's uh, speaking, writing, um, speaking, writing, maths, and one other. I can't remember what it is. Art. Um, no, no. Um, <laughs> but it is American. So occasionally I get marked wrong. You know, for Z's pre- and everything. Pre- yeah, putting a U in colour and stuff like that. <laughs> what are you doing with all these U's? We want we want double letters in all of our Tennessees, but we we definitely don't want U's in any any word at all. And if you dare exactly. put an S where there should be a Z, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, it's exactly that. And you hear some very very colourful language as as I get marked down because <laughs> I've been doing this every day now for I don't know probably a couple of months, uh, and so you get some pretty good streaks going, and then suddenly you get a score and it's like. Your 16th best. No, no, it's because you wouldn't accept colour. Um, but these appeals <laughs> fall on deaf ears, deaf electronic ears. Um, I don't know quite where I got to there or how I got there, but anyway. Oh, yes, the 16th. One of the math uh, uh, quizzes is you have to find equivalents. Mm-hmm. And so it flashes up a series of fractions, pie charts and percentages and you have to sort of match pairs. Uh, and you're absolutely right. There is a, a really, really big interest in the United States in 16th. They do yeah. like a 16th. It's all inches, uh, right? You've got 16ths of an inch. That sure. American when it comes up in a pie chart, it comes up in a pie <laughs> chart, and you're under pressure to count how many 16ths, or, or is it 18 made up of percentage points, 100 single percents. 
of a pie chart. Why would you possibly need to divide that into sixteenths? <laughs> it's it's mental agility, young man. Mental agility. <laughs> I am as agile as Nadia Comaneci. Yeah, look that up, youngsters. I will. Right. Uh, what about watching? What are you watching? Anything good? Uh, I'm writing down that name and trying to spell it correctly. Um, I have watched a film and I've been watching a TV show. So a little bit more than last week. Uh, the film was one that Netflix threw at me. Uh, it was Enola Holmes, um, which has the lead actor from Stranger Things. Is it Billy, Millie Bobby Brown? Yeah, I think that's her name. Um, she is sort of the L. She's sort of one of the, one of the big characters in Stranger Things. And she's the mm-hmm. sort of lead character in this, which she's sort of Sherlock and Mycroft Holmes' sister. Um and it's sort of centered on her. Uh, it's an interesting concept. Uh, she was fantastic. She's a very, very talented young actor. Uh, and the the film was okay. The film was a wee bit like, oh, you set an awful lot of things up there and you kind of just walked away from half of them. Don't really know what the point was there. But like, it wasn't uh, bad. But just one of those films that you get to the end and go, oh, I thought they were tying a bow. I- I'm just left with a bouquet of loose ends. Uh, it's a shame. I, I've seen the trailer, so... Uh, Cyprus Netflix has A, got it, and B, thinks I should watch it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I have to say, I've been very tempted. I'm, I'm... It's worth seeing. It's worth seeing. But yeah. don't expect great things. Okay. Watch great it for her performance, and that's about enough. Okay. All right. Julie noted, sir. Julie noted. Uh, and then the other thing that I'm watching, I actually watched an episode just before we came to record. Star Trek Discovery, which is the new sort of I think it's 15, so it's not R-rated, but the new sort of uh, age limit 15 Star Trek show, uh, which is great. Uh, It's one of those ones where they've taken something, Gene Roddenberry was very into sort of utopian concepts and everything's a bit happy clappy and thumbs up. Star Trek is great, but like uh, every now and again, you'd brush with something quite dark, uh, but then sort of 25 minutes later, it would all be warmly sorted out. And everyone will be smiling back on the ship with no repercussions whatsoever. Um, This show doesn't really do that. It kind of goes, oh, right. So impending nuclear disaster on the planet. Yeah, you're going to have to fix that or else they're all going to die horribly. It's like, oh, right. That's a bit darker than the tone previously set. That's it's good. It's more compelling, I think, because the stakes are higher and people can die and things can happen. It's not quite as uh, 1960s, but um, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I didn't know where I'd gotten to. And went on to Netflix and realized I'd, I'd not even finished the first season. Uh, and it's now on to the third season. I went, okay. okay. And the, the first season seemed to have four different finales throughout the, the run of the season. It was actually really interesting because I was I tried to read up. I was like, okay, well, I'm definitely on to season two because I remember, I don't remember any of this stuff. I don't remember what they're talking about here. I was reading up on, on I think it was Wikipedia or something. I was like, no, 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 they're not doing that yet. And I was like, oh, no, that's episode 13 of season one. But I'm on episode eight. And then by episode nine, I was like, oh, no, we're on trajectory now. The whole thing kind of pitched left. Um, Really good. uh, Really interesting. If you like sci-fi, it's great. If you like Star Trek, it's good fun. I'm just enjoying it. It's a nice kind of less than an hour episode, something interesting and cool ships and sci-fi. Cool. I I have to say Star Trek for me is... It's something I need to to apply myself to. <laughs> okay. 
as as a kid, I watched the the Rodenbury one on TV. So yeah. it was already already on by the time I was watching it, believe it or not. I would have been coming up on what, 25, 20, 25 years old by then? Yeah, for sure. So I would watch it on TV, uh, would marvel at everybody sort of running stage left, run stage right. Uh, <laughs> Check the camera, earthquake. <laughs> yeah, that, that sort of stuff. Um, and Scotty, obviously every everybody's favourite Scotty. If I give her any more, Captain Shield Blow, all of that stuff. And, and I understood Star Trek, it was fine. And then as I was growing up and became interested in, well, I don't know, girls, cigarettes, drinking, other things, uh, I did sort of at the corner of my eye notice a series of movies were being released. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Some in in some sort of logical, sensible way and others some kind of apparent offshoot. <laughs> There's one where they save and, a wheel or something. It is a bit obscure. Yeah, and then... So 10 years later, I start listening to podcasts and people go, oh, yeah, Star Trek Dinky Winky is fantastic. Star Trek what? <laughs> um, and I have now got no idea where it went. So I'm still looking for William Shatner. <laughs> no, no, no. He does appear in the films every now and again. The more, Not the more recent ones, but the slightly less recent ones. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I... I, again, I've seen bits of these films. You know, they tend to be on late at night. <laughs> yeah. When yeah. when you come home from the pub, and oh look, he says slightly slurring his words. William Shatner is now an admiral. How exciting! And then you know, doze off, <laughs> collapse into your kebab. It's um, very very straightforward. There's the original series, then okay. there's the Next Generation, then there's Star right. Trek Voyager, which is an offshoot, and then there's Deep Space Nine, which is an offshoot, and then there's uh, what do you call it? The one with that guy, uh, Enterprise, which is sort of a, a, a prequel series. And then there's Discovery and there's other bits and pieces, sort of ancillary things going around in the background. But there's like four or five main seasons. You you started this off with, it's very simple. You're aware yeah. of that. Okay. Yeah, well, right. if you try and compare that to the Star Wars canon, it's even more complicated where there's prequel films and pre-prequel films and sequel fecals and they're all over the show. Star Trek yeah, is all actually easier. <laughs> Quells mm. of a, a certain distinction. <laughs> well, I there is an interesting. There is an interesting well, podcast you should listen to if you fancy uh, jumping into the deep end with absolutely no prior planning. I think they've stopped now, but I listened to it a long time ago. It's called Trecklenburg, T R E K L E N B E R G, I think, or B U R G, and it was like a public radio podcast. And every single week, they dissected one episode of Star Trek. And that was it. And it was really good. I remember listening to it quite a bit. Maybe it stopped. Maybe it's no good. I don't remember. But this was way back in university days. I remember listening oh. to it. So if you fancy it, give it a listen. I think it's still around. I shall have a listen. I shall certainly have a listen. Um, what have I been watching then? Oh, Defending Jacob, which I think I mentioned last week. Was he defended? He was defended. It's the sort of uh, return to a theme, the Stu Lennon hate Oh, look, they've made the lead, the executive producer. Um, (laughs) Once that's in my mind, well, once that is in my mind, I think, okay, so how much input has he had? Hmm. We seem to be close up on him for a very long time here. Hmm. I bet you that's... And it's probably not true because, I mean, the lead is Chris Evans, who, by all accounts, is a very good-looking chap. 
Uh, and so I suppose you would have the lingering shot. Um, but the director appeared to believe that Chris Evans is the greatest facial actor ever born. So we would get 25 seconds of his facial... Oh, look, there's an eyebrow moved. Um, <laughs> and, and much though I, I think Chris Evans is a good actor, uh, he's not that good, to be honest. Um, so uh, that kind of ruined it for me. And uh, the plot got a little bit turgid in places or perhaps I just didn't believe it. I don't know. Um, it's a good show. It's not a great show. Um, and, and we've we watched it. We finished it. Um, oh, good. Because as, a, as I think I said, we are, as I said last week, I think Margaret is at that stage where it's, I've started watching this. I am now going to finish it. <laughs> um, by hook or by crook, yeah. So that sort of uh, gave us a gave us a bit of a break from the from the meth lab, um, but we're we're back in the meth lab, uh, and Margaret did turn to me and say, "Are you still finding this interesting?" So I think that might be the death of the meth lab, to be honest. Uh, we're talking about Breaking Bad. If anyone thinks Stu's getting into nefarious things, <laughs> just certainly not. I, I name my dogs after drugs. That's it. <laughs> um, uh, and Tehran, again, Apple TV Plus, and Long Way Up. That Those are shows that are released every Friday. So, oh, okay, um, so you're on the, the bandwagon yeah. for those boys? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're both pretty good in completely different ways. Uh, so I've enjoyed that. And I haven't really watched much else, to be honest. I've watched a little bit of the news and went, nope, nope, not enjoying yeah, that at all. Don't, really, don't watch the again. news. It's really... Yeah. I've been reading the news for seven months now, and I really should stop. It's just bad. I could probably summarise it by going... It's a bit rubbish, and things are probably going to get more rubbish, unfortunately. <sighs> well, the thing that you do miss, I mean, if you do like me, where I've sort of just given up watching it or reading too much of it, is that when I do now sort of just dip in, I'm utterly mystified. <laughs> so in in the UK, I'm not going to go down a huge tangent here because I know everybody's heard enough about this nonsense, but in the UK... Um, Somewhere, somebody has decided that we're in fact the United States. So you have central government negotiating with mayors of cities. Now, for, for my entire life, mayors of cities have worn really silly hats and been preceded by a town crier going, hear ye, hear ye. And they turn up at open supermarkets. And and now you've got politicians who are sort of, you know, appear to wield real power, um, trying to negotiate how much money they should get for going into certain tiers of lockdown and all that. And I just looked at this and thought, when did all this happen? Where was I? Like I, Cyprus? I, well, yes, but um, <laughs> it's just just odd, really, to me. Anyway, that we've uh, ad adopted a new political system without. Really, I don't think anybody ever noticed it. You know, there was talk of, oh, we're going to have mayors and that's going to be great. But uh, here they are sort of wielding their power, rather ineffectively at the moment, it has to be said, but nevertheless, uh, fascinating. And then you, or, you wait for the international news to come on and somebody in America said something completely incomprehensible. I yeah, no idea. I had no idea what's going on. Uh, but as I said to somebody, uh, I take comfort in the fact that Neither presidential candidate looks likely to survive long enough to serve a full term uh, because they're both older than God. Mm. 
Well, there's nothing wrong with being older than God, but I, I would have thought the president of the United States, I imagine, having watched the West Wing, that that's quite a demanding position. Yeah, well, you can't be, you can't become a president until you're over thirty, right? I don't there's know. an actual limit, an under, a lower limit on what you can before you can apply. I think, although I don't okay. know. Well, I don't know. I, 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 I've never given it a moment's thought. But you know, the idea of doing, you know, let's be really, really kind of say twelve-hour days. I'm sure they're more like eighteen-hour days. But mm. it'd be know, grueling with, for anyone. Never mind someone in their seventies or eighties. Yeah, with little things like, you know, I don't know, should we attack this country? Should we liberate that? Should we do this? Should we put sanctions again? And these are fairly weighty and big decisions. It must be exhausting. I don't know. <sighs> anyway, I dare say it will all work out well at the end. What have you been listening to, TJ? I have been listening to Metallica. I'm actually wearing a Metallica hoodie today uh, in uh, respect of that listening. And um, not the old Metallica stuff. It's more recent. And by more recent, I mean Ooh. about, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. <laughs> so it's it's Death Magnetic, which is one of their more more contemporary albums, I'll say, uh, which is great. It's actually a really, really good album. And um, yeah, I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed. I've been listening to so many different things. I forgot how much I enjoyed just a little bit of you know, heavier metal and just put it on and be able to focus. Uh, there's something conversely soothing about heavy metal whenever you're trying to work on something it's a straight like it should be jarring it should be grating because it's essentially uh people smacking metal strings on wooden boards very very loud uh but it's it's oddly melodic and oddly kind of rhythmic in a way that can kind of i don't know i drift off and i start to do nice work when i'm listening to that kind of music so that's what i've been listening to it's really good very good cool um I've been listening to the Rolling Stones. Um, they were a big band back in the day. Um, <laughs> uh, so an album called Sticky Fingers, which some would consider their best. Uh, and uh, curiously, I found myself listening to me earlier, um, oh. which is, I, I don't usually listen through to our episodes. I, it, I mean, it seems a bit pointless. I was there. Um <laughs> But what I do notice is how many of your one-liners I miss when we're recording, generally because I'm still droning on or, <laughs> or because I'm thinking. Um, and I go, God, he's quite witty, this Cosgrove fella. I must have a chat to him one time. <laughs> uh, so that was a little bit odd. And the other thing, I was, who was I listening to? Um, I think it was Upgrade, the Upgrade podcast. Yeah. So Mike Hurley and Jason Snell. Uh, and... I think Apple TV Plus has now launched essentially what used to be MTV. So Music on television. Yeah, they're, they're constantly streaming music videos, one after the that's, other, which is how MTV started. Idea. Yeah, um, hey, hey, Apple TV, welcome, welcome to my crib. And come on in, look at my fridge. Well, no, all of that, you see, that's late MTV. You're, you're giving away your youth. <laughs> MTV <laughs> sort, of, sort of got to that point um, and it ended up being where it is now, which is, I think it's all reality shows now. But um, it was initially just, you know, three and a half minute pop songs, rock songs, the video that uh, accompanied them. And they were, they went on to a little sort of tangent. Who goes on tangents, honestly? Um, about... Uh, how, you know, where's the market for this sort of randomness? 
And me and everybody of my age around the world in their cars was screaming, going, right, I can listen to anything I like. As long as you can spell it. <laughs> well, I don't know what I want to listen to. And I don't want to listen to 436 songs by Phil Collins. Oh, give me three. And then give me a Metallica track. And then the latest one from Taylor Swift. And then a Beatles track. And I want that sort of Curation. A, surprise, B, sort of eclectic mix. Yeah. And if you say, you know, hey, Siri. Oh, sorry, everybody. I'll cancel that. <laughs> hey, hey, doofus. Play an eclectic mix. You'll get sort of some sort of Jack and Ori thing. I mean, it'll just, or it'll <laughs> make you a sandwich or something. I really miss that. I, on, on TV, not so much. Although, it has to be said, I'm watching a load of shows that get released every Friday. So the, there is a tendency to go back to old habits. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, I do miss that. I do miss that about uh, a decent radio station, which plays I... something that surprises me. I remember watching Kerrang, which was like the heavy metal and sort of pop punk version of MTV. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was mostly just songs to be very angsty about and when they were on, be very angsty. Um, I remember watching that an awful lot. And it was somewhere beyond the normal programming on Sky. So you go, it was like normal, normal, normal entertainment, you know, movies and then you know, lifestyle. Yeah, it's it's pop. It's past the porn. Yeah. I mean, it really is at the back of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> way down, way, way down. If you got, if you get Christian radio, you've gone too far. It's a little bit back from there. Um, yeah. So kind of down to the doldrums and then you'd find it. But Krang was great. Um, but I don't know what my capacity for dealing with adverts and and egregiously inserted personality. Like there's a lot of people under the misapprehension that I want to listen to them when they're on TV and radio. <laughs> And it's, it's like, a sad oh, thing for a podcaster to say, <laughs> yeah, well, these people are, I'm not making anyone listen to me. Right. But if I put on uh, music, like a radio station, it's like, oh, that's a strong personality. And, oh, you're going to talk a lot. Right. Okay. Kind of, kind of wanted the music. You're talking for longer than the music. Can we see this bit in the middle? Can we just skip that? Go back to the songs, please. I'd prefer that. Sure. So that's why I just do my own. No, and I agree with you. I mean, the, the days of, you know, Terry Wogan, where he'd play sort of six songs over two hours. That That is a specific experience. And, you know, some people loved it. I mean, millions used to listen to it. But there are also radio stations, or there were radio stations, where it was about the music. And you get a very short link. Um, <laughs> it wasn't all the music, all the time. <laughs> Some yeah, stupid little that, link. <laughs> that sort of nonsense. Um <laughs> But what I loved about it was I heard songs that I wouldn't have chosen to listen to. Um, I heard songs that perhaps I'd forgotten from 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and I heard, mm -hmm. and I enjoyed that. And trying to do that with um, Apple Music or, uh, or, or I assume with Spotify is, is harder than it looks because you can choose, you know, play 80s rock. Okay, fine, it plays 80s rock. But sort of play anything doesn't appear okay. to work. Yeah, or you track get... anything by the band. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or or you get some piano concerto that goes on for four and a half hours and is played by a very gifted Chinese person who um, you've never heard of and are unlikely to hear of and you've fallen asleep by the time it gets to the second movement. But I, I miss radio. I think there are still, 
there is still room for curated provision. Um, but that's probably because I'm old. <sighs> that wasn't a tangent at all. What are you reading, TJ? I finished my fourth Terry Pratchett book. We're motoring along. I'm 10% of the way through. Um, this one was called Mort, M-O-R-T, short for Mortimer. And it was good. I really enjoyed it. I think it's probably my least favorite of all four I've read so far. Uh, not because it was bad, just because the others were very good. Um, which I imagine is, is one of those things when you write 40 books, there will be a, an ebb and a flow for each reader that they like certain ones better in certain areas because the stories tend to meander. The first and second stories are of the same characters. The third story is kind of, there's an ancillary connection with some of the first two books. The fourth book does connect and there's a few characters pass over. So it's it's interesting seeing that sort of connection and the sort of the dots that, that link up. But definitely, I think the first three books I preferred to this one, but I'm glad I've read it and I will continue to read them. I've got another three left that have been bought. So I'm just waiting to, to read them. But I haven't, I'm not going to read the next one yet because I think I've read three Terry Pratchett books in a row. Mm. So I want to kind of, I want a, an amuse bush, something to kind of cleanse the palate. So we were out the other day and I actually bought a new book uh, in person, in paper, uh, from Good Waterstones. Lord. Yeah, I don't normally do that. And I don't normally do it with fiction, but I really like the cover of this book. Um, and this book was written in the 1800s, uh, sort of Victorian era. Are you eating something? Uh, no, that's uh, that's Charlie. Charlie's having uh, some water. <laughs> It'll probably not come through in the podcast, but I could just hear like a gentle... <laughs> yeah, he's he's now looking at me. Uh, he's It's great. Uh, Spicy has got him to concede the chair. Uh, and uh -huh. go down to have a drink um, and in typical Spice fashion she, she's not interested in the chair now that he's not on it she's gone to line a rug instead there you go <laughs> <sighs> it's all very meaningful in dog in dog world mm, yeah the canine co-hosts are doing well they're more interesting uh, than I am arguably but yeah the, the book <laughs> I bought was called Flatland uh, by Edwin okay. Abbott Abbott a man so good they named him twice um and it's it's a really interesting book that kind of borders on mathematics, geometry, and a bunch of other things. But he basically is describing a 2D world called Flatland, where shapes exist on a 2D plane. And then a sphere comes to town. And then how the, the sort of the triangles and the squares and the parallelograms and stuff deal with this concept of a three-dimensional shape in a two-dimensional world. And it didn't, I think it, it's quite a, a seminal piece of work in that it inspired an awful lot of people uh, with physics and geometry and mathematics about how to think about these things. You know, this is written way back when. And so it's a book that I've, it's been on my radar for a while. I've wanted to read it. And I was in Waterstones recently and I'm not often in bookshops, especially at the minute. And I sort of went, ooh, oh, that's a lovely cover. Oh, it's that book. <coughs> well, like, nope. I could be persuaded. Oh, sorry, Ch Charlie just had some input there. He's, he's clearly quite taken <laughs> with Flatland. <laughs> ah, now we have double team. Double team group parking. <coughs> lads, lads, I'm recording. Some respect. Yes, no, it's uh, the local neighbourhood dogs are just having an exchange of views, it would appear. <laughs> uh, my apologies, that, that probably won't go out of the edit because these guys look as though they're set in for the night. Um, <coughs> Charlie, Charlie, up until 12 hours ago, you didn't bark. What's going on? 
Fool. Oh dear. Right. If everybody just wants to take a deep breath. I'll let the dog, I'll release the hands of hell. <laughs> Come get Kill, say, mate, let's figure it. Right. Sorry about that, folks. Um, as, as you may have gathered, I've got two dogs, which is something that we will get onto later. Um, <laughs> so you're reading Edwin Abbott Abbott, The Flatland. Mm-hmm. That does sound quite interesting, to be honest. I mean, I assume it was a long way ahead of its time. I think so, yeah. I think it was sort of a, a book about class and a book about uh, psychology that was wrapped up in a book about math. Uh, it it sounds very interesting, and I said a lot of people, a lot of people much much smarter than I am, think it's good. So that's that's normally a good enough sort of re- reckoner for me reading it. So. And how is the writing? I mean, is are you sort of? I haven't started it yet, so I haven't. I, haven't, okay. I don't know. Because you know, sometimes Victorian writing, you can sort of have meal breaks mid sentence. Yeah, they're a little dense. Certainly, uh, even if you go back, I have a lot of books. We covered this briefly in my sort of episode about keeping a book collection. I have a lot of books from the 40s. And even then you get back into some very kind of received pronunciation, kind of like, oh, this is a very different tone than I'm used to reading. It sounds like a, it sounds like you're reading an 1800s newspaper or what you'd imagine an 1800s newspaper sound like. It's it's just very, very formal and a very strange cadence and pace. But uh, I, I don't know. I haven't tried it yet. But um, I will report back next week when I've started. I've got to start it tonight, and we'll see how yeah. dense it is. Splendid. Well, I, just in the dog update, um, I can hear my wife has emerged from the. Uh, she's watching Bake Off, so she's not <laughs> going to be pleased. Um, now entered negotiations with the dogs uh, as to whether a they might shut up and b they might want to join her. Um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I am reading, um, I'm, I'm doing a bit of a you, but probably not with quite the same quality. So um, I, I'm going through the works of Nick Quantrill. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm now, I finished last night the second Joe Garrity novel, The Late Greats. And I'm now going to start this evening, The Crooked Beat. Uh, Joe Garrity being a, a private eye. Yeah, yeah, it's nice, light reading. It's great. Enjoyment. Mm. Drinking. What are you drinking, TJ? Cordial, or what we call it. We just call it juice. Um, so I'm delighted as well. I don't, what do you mean, cordial? <laughs> so we call it diluting juice. I don't know if anyone else in the world calls it that, but it's okay. essentially a, a concentrated juice that you water down. Uh, so I've been drinking apple berry, I think, and it's pretty good. Although the dog doesn't seem to appreciate it, so maybe I'll not drink that anymore. I say Spice has very strong views on squash, we would call that. Squash. You know. <laughs> uh, that, those were her parting words, I think. Uh, that, was, that was her parting words to the, uh, to the podcast. She's just trotted off, and I mean trotted, uh, off to the staircase. And she's going to go up and inform her mother what a terrible father I am. There we are. <laughs> That's my sort of, whatever the correct word is for ex- sort of imposing human values on animal behaviour. I'm doing a lot of that. Anthropomorphization. Gesundheit. Um, <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with a bit of cordial. I do like a bit of cordial. Um, do you have any lime cordial? Uh, we, we do have it. It's a little tart 
for my liking. I, I have had it in the past and it's not bad, uh, but that's more of a mixer than a beverage that yep. you'd have un- unto itself. Um, so I've, I've got t- two drinks for you there, TJ. The first one, uh, lime and soda. So uh, probably nine, nine and a half parts soda, some ice and just a, a, little, a little splash of lime. Very refreshing on a hot okay. day. Soda uh, water is oh. by you know, calcium carbonate in water, right? Uh, soda water is essentially um, a water with gas in it. So, okay. Uh, you can go and pay a fortune for expensive French stuff, uh, or you can get it out of a soda siphon in a pub. Uh, you know, it's the minerals that make all the difference, the French would tell you, but it's fizzy mm. water, basically. Okay. Um, okay. Very refreshing on a hot day. Uh, I'll, next week, we'll cover what a hot day is. Um, <laughs> yeah, I haven't had one of those yet. And the other one that I recommend you have a pop out, this is probably better, is a gimlet. Oh, I've heard of this. Uh, yeah, it's, it's probably one of the world's easiest cocktails to make. Uh, it's Plymouth gin. Uh, Does it have to be Plymouth gin? Is that, that a, a rule? I don't think it has to be. I mean, Plymouth gin is uh, essentially just rocket fuel. It's very strong gin. Um, <laughs> ice and a bit of lime cordial. Okay. There's a podcast uh, network called Gimlet, I think. There is, you're right. Not that that's relevant, uh, but... I, I, I don't know whether the podcast network is named for the drink. I've no idea, to be honest. Uh, but the drink is very, very nice. That will put hairs mm. on your chest, keep you, uh, keep you awake. I'm, and, uh, I'm, pre- prevent you getting scurvy. Good. I, I am at risk of that being on a, on a ship myself most of the year. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to have one of those this weekend. We have all the ingredients. I mean, it's not Plymouth gin. It's, it's gin made here in the island, but oh, I can make it. I thought. Okay, we'll get that done. We'll, I'll report back. Excellent. Look at that cocktail hour. Ah. <laughs> uh, what am I drinking? Well, as you can hear, I'm, I'm slightly inebriated. Uh, my alcohol-free Bex Blue is hitting the spot. Um, I have had quite a lot of coffee today. Uh, maybe that's got something to do. I don't know, lots of illy espressos. Uh, but, yep, yeah, all very dull. Still still a non-drinker. Um, mm. Not long to go now. Counting the days. <laughs> he said... Hopefully. Mm, yes. <laughs> what about buying? Are you buying anything? Uh, no, not yet. I have been feverishly browsing the Apple website and I was basketing and then unbasketing a variety of, of items that are very expensive. And so I, I did a lot of cost-benefit analysis on the, the iPhones, uh, okay. including 11, 11, sorry, 11, 11 Pro is not you can't buy unless you go on some shitty third-party vendor, which I'm not going to do. Uh, so mm-hmm. 11, 12, 12 Pro. I immediately rolled out the Pro Max because it's way, way more and it's it doesn't really have anything that I need. Um, camera would be lovely, but it's not it's not that helpful. So it's like 11, 12 and 12 Pro. That's kind of the spectrum. And the 12 Mini, eh, battery life, a uh, bunch of other stuff. Anyway, narrowed it down to three. It'd probably be four by tomorrow, but it's three right now. And then I did, okay, right. How much is this? How much is it going to be? What's it going to do? Bumped them all up to 256 gigabytes, as we discussed. So that yep. was my my bare minimum because I'm going, right, okay. And then I, I literally broke this down over 36 months. I broke it down on how much I'm spending on my, my current data plan, how much I could get my data plan reduced by if I move over to a different thing. And do, 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 this whole sort of financial institution introspection uh, for me to go, ah, it's probably the 12, 
which is what I thought mm-hmm. last week without all this work. So that's yeah. good. Yeah. Well, I'm, I I put into the show notes um, the TechCrunch article um, by I'm sure you, you you read it by Panzerino. Uh, really I've read article. every article going. I think. Yeah, I, th- I thought you might have. Yeah, um, but yeah, I. They say this all over. They who is they? Um, tech podcasters say this sort of thing every year. But the iPhone 12 is the one that most people should buy, you know, um, and then spend the next four hours explaining how they're not buying that and they're going to buy the one with the go faster stripes. And, um, <laughs> yes, uh, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, from what I've read and just looking at the specs, um, iPhone 12 does look better value than the the 12 pro um yeah and you'd have to be very deep into this and have both of them side by side to be able to tell that one was was better in inverted commas than the other i suppose the materials the difference although i i prefer the colorings of the iphone 12 which look a bit brighter yeah um so yeah um for me the the Obviously, for me, I, I'm not buying an iPhone, as I've now said in three episodes in a row. So I think we probably all know what that means. I think the lady um, doth protest too much. <laughs> you may have a point there, young man. Um, I, if you'd asked me four weeks ago, it's the Mini. Absolutely, it is the Mini. Because uh, it's, it's sized like a phone, um, not like an iPad. Uh I look, therefore, vaguely less ridiculous than all of the young people walking around with a big slab of concrete held up against their their ears. Um, And most of the things that I like to do on a phone, I can do on a small one. And the things that I sometimes do on a phone, I should probably do on an iPad or on a a computer. Uh, And then I sort of started doing this this slightly different role where I'm likely to be out and about, where I'm likely to just want to carry one device and that device is going to be my sat-nav and is going to be my, Mm -hmm. um, you know, contact to various and sundry databases and all of that stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, would I I prefer a bigger screen for some of those things? (sighs) Oh, dear. It's all very difficult. But I mean, fortunately, it doesn't matter <laughs> because because I'm not buying a phone, so it's going to be fine. Keep, just keep saying it. Just keep saying it. There's power in repetition. Mm-hmm. That's it. Um, the, the great news is my Apple Watch has been delivered. Uh, not to me, of course, uh, to, to Claire. Um, I think she's probably set it up, taken it out for a run. Uh, no, she, she probably hasn't because she's not like that. But hopefully that will make its way to Cyprus soon. Um, I See, I look today... Oh. And for me to get one, mm. you know, Series 6, all the whistles and bells, uh, the strap that'll wear out and fall off my wrist, all the, the good stuff, yeah. four to six weeks minimum before it'll be delivered. Yeah, ignore that nonsense. Mm. Uh, I was I was told the exact same. Okay. I think maybe uh, they're hedging right. their bets because the phones are coming out, like the 12 is coming out next month as soon as, like 6th, I think, or 12th. The mm-hmm. other bits and pieces I could get delivered the end of this month. Like if I ordered AirPods, they could be delivered in the next week. So it's kind of a, mm, not sure. Yeah. I, I think because of COVID, they are, they are understandably hedging their bets. Yeah. Um, 
but certainly yeah mine mine is oh, two or three weeks maybe even four weeks ahead of the schedule okay well that's something okay i'll take uh, that which obviously will <laughs> have no bearing on your purchase and you'll still be waiting in june but oh yeah um, yeah, yeah. That, that, that that's that's real life experience from the current marketplace uh so are you feeling are you drifting towards an apple watch uh, yeah, yes and no. I have done an awful lot of reading, an awful lot of watching, an awful lot of kind of introspection about would I use it, would I want it. The answer to would I want it is very easy and short. It's three letters. Um, the answer to whether I need it is is more complicated. I have a Fitbit. I don't know what one it is. Um, mm -hmm. It immediately, uh, the display started going wonky about a, a month after owning it. So there's a little line through the, the numbers at the top. It's sure. largely okay. Like, it's fine. I don't really use the app all that much. I kind of just reference it for for steps. I represent for um, heart rate. Uh, calorie burn, I think, is largely a guesstimation at best. Um, sure. But I, I do use the, the, the walk tracking, which is useful. And I try and keep steps up. That's kind of my main measurement of, of mobility at the minute. And it's useful. Um, I'd like something a bit more integrated, but I'm thinking, right, if I'm going to buy the, the watch... I really need to be fully within the Apple ecosystem. Like I need to be using the Apple Health app or whatever it is to track all this. It's got to be, you know, one cohesive thing. Mm -hmm. And I looked at the watch. I'm like, well, realistically, the watch will work with the iPad, but from a practical standpoint, it'd it'd be better to set it up with the phone so that it sure. can do all the the gubbins. So I'm like, well, like I kind of want to get the phone first then. So that sort of delayed it a wee bit, but. I mean, I think the decision is largely made. If I'm getting one, it'll be a six, probably with a cyber screen strap uh, in the mm -hmm. most basic metal. I don't care of uh, all the titanium nonsense, all the expensive options. Yeah. I don't. Not fussed whatsoever. I want the the black watch in 44 mil. Uh, the, the, you know, basic, simple. Um, yeah. Let it do the, the good stuff itself. I don't need it to be shiny. I have nice watches. This will be worn on my right wrist. So my non-dominant, mm -hmm. no, my dominant hand for writing but not my watch hand if you ascribe to the left hand being your watch hand. So sure. I, I would I want to keep that free for watches and then use the other one as a an integrated fitness tool and personal communications device. Yep, 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 yep. It makes sense. I mean, the, the phone is most definitely the first step. And yeah. I think the watch is greatly diminished without one. So. Exactly. So and then, I, and then I almost bought AirPods Pro almost mm -hmm. and then i had an experience this morning i went out for a walk which is my next show note went out for a walk this morning and because it was raining i didn't want to take my nice big sennheiser wireless headphones because sure. i had to wear my hood up and so i stuck in the earbuds i'm wearing right now which are just really cheap uh don't know who makes these are these sennheiser no they're akg earbuds they okay. came with the s8 i think and they're in earbuds and maybe maybe this is a, a physiological problem on my end but I don't think my left ear is the same size as my right ear because the, the right mm -hmm. one fits fine and the left one falls out. Sure. And I'm going, mm. that, Well, that's that's why the pros come with three different sizes of... I know, but I'm going, it's not really a time for me to go, I've stuck this in my ear, but I don't like it. Can you take it back and give me my money back? There well, you no, go. you can ah. try it on in the shop. Well, I can if there was a shop in Northern Ireland that allowed me to come into it. Uh, and the only ah. one in the area will not. Oh. Yeah. I see. <laughs> so we have one, as far as I know, in Belfast. There's, there's some in Dublin, I think, but there's one in Belfast, cool. which is yeah. relatively easy for me to get to. That's not a problem. Uh, but they are 
not taking any bookings for anything on their website. Um, and chat was useless today. I tried three or four times to get through to someone and it was nothing. So I'm thinking that they're perhaps not doing as much. It's more of maybe a show up in the day. It's hard to know what they're trying to do, but I sure. certainly couldn't order things to the shop for pickup. So I doubt I can wander into the shop and stick things in my ears. So I might, I might just buy them on a whim. I might not. I don't know. Because they'll work with the iPad. They'll work with my phone. So they're, sure. they're maybe the first step to sort of ease me into this. But it's, it's one of those weird things. I mean, I'm sitting here very confident they'll work because of the three sizes and because they work for me. But it, it's just one of those things where it, if something works for you, you can't imagine it wouldn't work for someone else. And yeah. if it doesn't work for someone else, then you can't imagine that it would ever work for anyone. My ears are just belligerent enough to go, no, this one, fine. The other one, no, no, not happening. I'll just have to tape it on my head. Yeah, and I think there are people who um, who don't get on with in-ears. You know, yeah. I, Generally, I'm okay I with them, but didn't. these ones, yeah, until. The, um, the original AirPods, um, I always found, I, I could wear them and I could use them and I did, um, but I couldn't use them uh, in a gym or anything like that because they, they would fly out. Uh, any sort of sudden movement of my yeah. my uh, iPods would fly across the room, which was you know, not ideal, uh, particularly on an aeroplane. There's nothing more fun than trying to find a fallen <laughs> AirPod in an aeroplane. Because <laughs> you're probably going to meet someone else down there who's lost the right one and you lost the left one. You're past each other, crawling on the floor, going, have you lost an AirPod? Yeah, I've lost an AirPod. Well, it's probably no, right no, even, even worse, you both lost the right one. That's where things really get tough. Right, well, you're listening to heavy metal and I'm listening to jazz, so we can find which one's playing. <laughs> oh, no, we're both listening to the on, on-air movie. Oh, dear. Um, okay, so uh, there we are. Apple Apple will be getting people's money. It's got some of mine, and it sounds like it's going to get some of yours. Yeah, I reckon I'm, I've got about a week or two left in me of, of not conceding, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And then, well, the reviews will be more YouTube watching required, clearly. Mm. Right. So, parish notices. Mm. Bits and pieces. Nothing. I suspect yours is going to be far more exciting than mine. I've been doing a lot of morning walking recently, just to try and get out of the house, because at the minute when I'm working from home, there's an awful lot of desk. I'm sat at the same desk now. It's seven o'clock my time. I've been sat at this desk since seven o'clock my time this morning. It's a long old day, so I'm trying to get that out is. for you know, three to five miles a day, just for a bit of a wander. Uh, so I did that this morning, and it was very nice. I got up before the sun was up. Oh, there's a firework outside my window. You know, it's October. Um, went for a good walk. That was good. And then by Sunday, so by the time this episode is out, it will be yesterday, uh, the clocks go back. And mm. so Meg and I had a complete confusion moment earlier where we are like, right, so that makes the mornings lighter. Does that make the evenings darker? How does this? And then just complete breakdown of understanding of both of us going, hold on, hold on. You shift. It's only back is it on. time or light that changes? <laughs> the earth is going to spin the other way for six. I don't know how this works. It's just very confusing. You feel like you should have this, you know, in your grasp when you're approaching 30. But no, 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 no. Complete confusion in the Cosgrove household. I, I don't want to disappoint you, but um, as you get to 50, it's even more mystifying. <laughs> and every clock change because what it starts doing then is right now all of the impact that it's having on you is is sort of psychological and mental yeah 
By the time you get to my age, it's physical. It's, <laughs> it's like, oh, the clocks have changed. I'm exhausted. And, and I hear myself say it and think, when did that happen? When, <laughs> Probably about 43. <laughs> I said, when did it become physically tiring? I mean, that'd be ridiculous. Just go to bed early, you fool. But no. <laughs> or you don't have to. Earlier bed will come to you. Go to bed later. Oh, oh you know, what? Oh, help. The whole thing just, ah, oh, it's bananas. Get rid of it. Don't let it say any time. Honestly, waste of time. <laughs> Silly. Um, well, I've managed to get uh, the, Mrs. Lennon out for a walk or two uh, over the last few days, which uh, has been a huge thing for us since the whole Nero mm. thing, which we don't exactly. need to revisit. But, um, uh, just, uh, I mean, it does involve, you know, the two of us going out. I'm carrying a stick and looking very macho. Um, that's about the only <laughs> way that I, I can persuade her to come outside the gate. Um, and the whole thing is still quite fraught. I mean, she's a bag of yeah. bless her. But um, hopefully we're, we'll sort of work through all that. Uh, and the reason for that being is, uh, as you've heard earlier, uh, Charlie, the dog, uh, who is actually called Rupert's. Um, uh, apologies to Rupert's everywhere, but this Rupert didn't really answer to his name, Rupert. Uh, well, were you saying it in Greek? Well, no, he's um, he's been owned by um, by a British family, I believe. Um, he's 18 months old, this dog. He is a pedigree wire, wire-coated Jack Russell. Now, older listeners will be going, pedigree Jack Russell, don't talk nonsense, uh, because Jack Russells never used to be pedigree, but they are now. Who knew? Um <laughs> And, Did you get the wire-coated Jack Russell Max or the wire-coated Jack Russell <laughs> Mini? Which which did you get? Um, uh, we got the the Jack the Jack Russell Revelation. Uh, it's, a, it's a limited edition. Good, good. And and uh, he is he is extraordinary uh, in all the right ways and all the wrong ways. Um, <laughs> as as people who listen to this show or, or follow Nero's notes, well, I'm, I'm quite quite a fan of dogs. Um, and this one uh, was given up by his family because uh, he, the family had a couple of, or has a couple of children. Uh, and so when whenever he was home, they, they lavished him with affection. And he's the most affectionate, lovely dog. He, he just wants to be on your lap, in your arms, preferably licking your face, which, you know, <laughs> some, pe- some people find less enjoyable than others, let's say. Uh, however, it was a working family. So, you know, come seven o'clock in the morning, everybody disappeared. They went to work or school, or um, which for Rupert was a little bit disconcerting until he found a way of amusing himself, which was essentially deconstructing their house. Um, oh dear! <laughs> uh, and the thing is that the the owner had been told this because the person that runs the dog shelter uh, works for this person and said, "Look, this is not the right dog for you and your family. You don't want one of these uh, because it won't won't do very well being on his own." Um, and I believe he was proved right. So. He showed up on a Facebook feed. Somebody tagged Margaret. Margaret said, uh, "Should we go and see him?" Uh, and I, I <laughs> danger bells. <laughs> well, Shall we go and pick him up now? <laughs> well, I mean, this is the thing. I always look at her and say, "Look, you know how this works. 
Um, I'm not allowed into a dog pound because I'll just say, all of them. Put all of them in the car. Uh, how much do you need? Get another car. Get, yeah. Bring a trailer. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yes, bring them all. Uh, I'll be there tomorrow all day. Um, so I say, well, if we go, I, and, and you're taken with this dog. And so we, there was this whole sort of false negotiation that went on. And so currently we're, we're fostering fostering young young Rupert. Um, although they will need military intervention if they want to try and take the dog away from me. Um, <laughs> and he's just... Um, he's, he's a life coach. He, he does everything at 150 miles an hour with full commitment. Full send. He, the, <laughs> no, no, I mean, he has a drink and he soaks the house. I mean, all of it. Just the act of having a drink. He, we put down a bowl. <laughs> he looked at it, looked at me, looked at the bowl, planted both feet into it and attempted to kick water into his mouth. That was his way of drinking. <laughs> Impressive. Unusual technique. Uh, we'll see if it works for him. And, and he, he moves like grease lightning. And he's... Uh, Jack Russells are, are ratters by trade. I mean, they, they bred to chase foxes, to bring foxes out of... Out of uh, uh, wherever foxes hang out. Is it Warren? Foxholes, presumably. Foxholes, yes, I guess. Um, and so they're... they're uh, they're nuggety little dogs, Jack Russell's. And so he whizzed past me into the pool area uh, and came face to face with the swimming pool. And you could almost see the thought process as he looked at it like, huh, I have a feeling that's water. And sort of waved a paw at it. And before anybody, including him, knew what was happening, he was swimming. <laughs> Which... <laughs> I thought, okay, well, there's no need to panic. Dogs can naturally swim. And sure enough, uh, he started he started doggy paddle. Uh, so I sort of coaxed him down to the to the shallow end because when Spice goes into the pool, because she goes in quite regularly, um, she can get out on the ladder because you know there's a little step there that gives her a bit of purchase to to climb out. So I tried to coax him to that, but he was having none of it. He thought he would come out straight at the side, presumably because he's a boy and that's what boys do. Um, and so there was this wonderful moment. If I could have filmed it, I'd be a multi-billionaire by now. Because <laughs> he put both paws up to go onto the side of the pool. Yeah. And consequently was sort of vertical in the water <laughs> with, with his, his arms above his head, if you like. Uh, and then sank like a stone. <laughs> yeah, so, poor uh, dog doesn't understand physics. <laughs> Yeah, so I saw him receding towards the bottom of the pool with his eyes open, looking at me as if to go, <laughs> what? I'm not sure this is good. <laughs> that, fortunately, it's a shallow pool and I'm there. So I just I just it literally dropped to my knees and <laughs> dropped my arm and grabbed him by the collar and pulled him out. I, I pulled him out, put him on the side of the pool. He shook himself, as dogs do, but he's not very good at that either. So he fell over. <laughs> and then... And then he got up, looked at me, and just wandered off towards the house as if nothing had happened. I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting there. My heart rate's about 140, according to my watch. I'm going, oh, my God. Fostered a dog and he killed it on the first day. But that's how he goes about life. So uh, the dogs both sleep in our bedroom. 
so there there are there are little dog beds there and uh, he's he's got his and it takes a little while to get him on it but we get him there eventually and then he settles down and if i get up to go to the bathroom during the night he's up and he's over and he's wagging his Work tail on. at me and he's he's <laughs> oh, oh you're up oh, that's fantastic how are you oh it's great it's brilliant isn't it god give me a cuddle give me a cuddle yeah, yeah let's have a, let me lick you let me lick you um, oh go in the bathroom oh fantastic i haven't been there before let's go there hey, yeah, yeah, let's go hey go hey i'm going back to bed are you sure yeah, you sure oh, oh you're lying down okay <laughs> but it's just absolute joy of being alive this dog it's infectious you just think oh this is how you should live um he's my dog so if I'm around, generally speaking, he's okay. He's pretty chilled. Uh, if I go, then he paces like an expectant father oh. <laughs> and, and completely ignores Margaret. So, uh, or, well, that's not strictly true. Occasionally he goes in and puts his feet in, in the bowl and spreads water across the kitchen to keep her, keep her occupied. Um, but he just seems to be completely devoted to me. He's decided that, that I'm the man for the moment, at least. Um, and so Margaret's like, mm, well, what do you think? You know, should we keep him? <laughs> and the best I can do, I mean, look, I'm married to a Sicilian. It's difficult for me to be intimidating. But I I look over my glasses and, and do my best hard flinty Paddington stare as to say, you will prize that dog from my dead fingers. Um, so I think we're going to keep him. Um, or, or there's going to be some sort of siege situation. Um, but he, yeah, he's magic. He's brilliant. He's going to take a lot of training because um, mm. clearly I don't really want him to rip my house to bits if we can avoid it. Uh, but hopefully he and Spice will be comfort for each other, um, you know, when we are out, you know, at dinner or playing golf. Or yeah. Whatever. Um, and hopefully neither of us needs to be away for you know, 10 hours a day type thing. So... Uh, yeah, addition to the family, fantastic little fellow. Uh, and, well, everybody's heard him bark. No? He's, he's good at that. <laughs> um, should you just give him a whole episode? I, oh, I think we should. And, and Spice is warming to him. Uh, she was very put out. She's still very jealous. But um, I think they are going to get on famously eventually because he uh, he's just impervious to any knockbacks. So he will run up and try and play with her and... She eventually gets annoyed and snaps at him, and she's quicker than him and a little bit bigger than him. So she will hurtle after him and sort of nip at his his heels and put him in his place. And he just wags his tail and comes back from war. <laughs> so it's it, it must be different. It's like you know, if if you're a boxer and you keep sort of landing punches on the other guy and he keeps laughing at you, it must get quite intimidating. <laughs> uh, so he he just kind of says back, oh, "That's great. Should we do it again?" Ah, uh, so no, I'm I'm smitten, as you may gather. I'm delighted. Uh, he he is the man. Uh, losing Nero was was horrible for both of us, but Nero was was my my best mate. Nero and I used to walk together for four or five hours a day. Yeah. Um, and and Spice has never really been that. Spice is very much Margaret's dog, which was dogs know stuff, and and Margaret needed a dog. Yeah. And so spice, spice was that, um, but yeah, I'm very much looking forward to having this little fellow as well, because uh, he will quite happily. The only time he's upset is if I leave him. So if I have to go to meetings, or then he's like, 
Seriously, why can't I come? I can play golf. He, he, he's that sort of dog. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, fantastic, fantastic week in the Lennon House. Well, as long Brilliant. as, obviously, we keep him. Let's, let's just, you know, Mrs. L may put her foot down yet. Uh, I may preemptively amputate both her feet. That should do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. So that's uh, that's my parish notices, and look at that. And we pushed through an hour and six minutes. Uh, are we having a word from uh, Gerald? I think we'll let, let Gerald do his thing. Gerald, take it away. Yeah. This is the three-pin plug. The first pin is Stuart Lennon. You can buy his lovely collection of reasonably priced notebooks and stationery supplies at nerosnotes.co.uk. You can read his writings on writing, at stuartlennon.com. If you want to see photos of his dog Spice, you can follow him on Instagram at stuart.lennon.587. The second pin is TJ Cosgrove. He created Wood and Graphite. A collection of over 150 short films on pencils, paper and other collected analog ephemera. You can watch it on YouTube by searching, wood and graphite. If you like looking at photos of coffee and keyboards you can follow him on Instagram, at team underscore Cosgrove. The third pin in the three pin plug is this show, 1857. You can support the show by leaving a review on iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice, the efficacy of which is debatable, or by sharing with someone you think would enjoy it. Perhaps even nip over to nerosnotes.co.uk and pick up a few lovely notebooks or fancy pencils, it all helps to cover the cost of hosting. The 3-pin plug is brought to you by me, Gerald, a totally normal human being and certainly not an AI-based neural voice generator. Thanks for listening, back to the show. So talented, such a good on-air personality he has. I, I think there's a lot of rehearsal goes into that. Mm. I think so. I mean, it's it's a dressing room is quite replaced. opulent. Is it? Dressing room, eh? That's what they tell me, yeah. Uh, we should have put riders in, TJ. We should have put riders in. Brian M&M's. Ball of Brian M&M's. Anyway, yeah. this episode is one of your episodes. This is a topic oh. you suggested. And it's one that, in fact, it came up in a... I think it was an off-air. We took this offline and we had a it conversation. Was, <laughs> it was the, the after show. It was yeah. the after show, TJ. The after show for available for, for all those people <laughs> who subscribe at the $1 million level. Yeah. Smash the Patreon like button and then you can get it after. No, I'm only kidding. The after show is whenever we finish recording and I take my phone and my headset and pace up and down my hallway downstairs while talking to Stu. And it's something I've done after almost every episode. We just have a quick chat and just sort of go, oh, that was good and figure out what we're doing next week. And it's just kind of the after show bits and pieces for us. And this came up in that. And you'd said something, you were telling me a story. And you said, oh, that's actually, that's a topic. We should talk about that. And so we are. So what, what are we talking about this week? Uh, this week is, uh, this is probably going to be the title of my next book, ladies and gentlemen, available to all good bookshops <laughs> and some rubbish ones. Um, it's uh, the power of no. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, it, this is uh, this is wonderful management theory. Uh, I'm going to have an offshoot podcast about it. No, I'm not. Look, when 
my friend and I set up in business to uh, the, the money transfer thing, okay? So we were MoneyGram super agents. Our job was to recruit corner shops and uh, any sort of retailer to be a money transfer agent, to act as an intermediary to allow immigrant workers to send money home. So uh, in the UK, some typical ones might be Polish people who were working in the UK and wanted to send money home to their families. And we decided we were going to do this business. We made an agreement with MoneyGram and we spent hours, weeks and months putting together contracts and it was all a lot of wearing of suits and sitting there being very corporate. We may even have had a huddle or two. And <laughs> then came the fateful day when they said yes, and we signed the papers. And my friend and I, James, uh, looked at each other and went, oh, now what do we do? <laughs> Got to make it all happen. Um. And so we looked at, uh, we played with our spreadsheets uh, and looked at, you know, recruiting a team of this and a team of that and you know, the finance function and blah, blah. When it's your own business and therefore your own money, you, or well, this is possibly not true. I mean, you might, but I went, hmm, yeah, not sure I want to speculatively throw X thousand pounds at recruiting yeah. this type of thing or that type of thing. What we'll do, James, or Chief, as I used to call him, what we'll do, Chief, let's do it. I mean, how hard can it be? We've got to sign up corner shops. <laughs> Famous last words. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we put together all our PowerPoints and, uh, you know, MoneyGram themselves have a lot of experience in this market. I used to work with Western Union. You know, I, I, I knew the product, I knew the business. Um, so we had all the materials, all the things that one might need. And we actually did this. We got onto a tube and we went to, sorry, uh, a metro and underground, depending on what kind of part of the world you live in. A um, train under the grind. <laughs> yes. And we went to Edgware Road, uh, which is, uh, it runs from sort of central London up uh, sort of northwards, I suppose, north, north, uh, west. Uh, and it's famous for having quite a lot of bureau de change, um, and lots of, uh, shall we say, immigrant shops. And we got out of the tube, got up to the, uh, to ground level, looked at it, and uh, James turned to me and said, all right, well, you do that side, I'll do this side. And we literally walked down the street going into every retailer, saying, hi, do you want to do money transfer? Um, again, there's about 36 episodes in this particular anecdote, but... Uh, James got chased by a guy with a machete once. So that, that, oh, yeah, well, I tell you, he had some patter, did James? Um, and certainly uh, on occasion, I got sort of given the bums rush, sworn at, shouted at. Um, sales, cold calling, whether it be on the phone or in person, that type of stuff, you get some no's, you get some rejections. And we would, at the end of our our street, you know, we would meet and compare notes and what went well and what didn't go well and, you know, which bit of the, of the spiel, if you like, is hitting home. What are the key points to talk to people about? And uh, I suppose James, James and I are both competitive guys. It's like, you know, how many do you get? How many do you get? 
And, and that probably helped us that we would compete against each other. Uh, but we sort of developed this thought process where uh, for the first few days, I would come off those, those um, sort of four-hour sessions going, that's really tough, it's horrible. Because I would have seen, I don't know, maybe 20 people. And 18 of them would have, at various levels of bitterness, said no and rejected me. No, I'm not interested in that. No, it's rubbish. Go away. Um, and that, that's disheartening. It's discouraging. But of course, I would also get two people who would go, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Now, they may say, yeah, I'll do it. Or, okay, come back next week. or whatever. But they would be positive. And the longer that James and I did it, the more we realised that actually, regardless of the mood we were in, the spiel that we were using, the area that we were in, uh, the price that we were offering, none of those things mattered. It was a numbers game. If he saw 100 retailers and I saw 50, he would have twice as many deals as me. It was that simple. And so I went away and thought, okay, I understand how this works. And the company started growing and we got a bit bigger and James and I retired to our spreadsheets. Um, we could sit in boardrooms, <laughs> have huddles, do all that sort of stuff. Uh, and we had, you know, sales teams come in. We recruited people to go out and sell in different areas. We had sales guys all across the country. We, uh, we ended up doing eight or nine countries. Um, and I think we were successful in part because we knew exactly what the job entailed. And that allowed us to be pretty good at recruiting the right people mm -hmm. and also pretty good at managing them and saying, okay, don't talk nonsense. That's not how it works. Because one universal thing I discovered about salespeople, and I include myself in this, is that salespeople will go to enormous lengths to avoid selling anything. <laughs> If, if you go to a company and say, right, who wants to go on a training course? The salespeople will run over you in the stampede. Accounts people will go, no, no, it's okay, I'm fine. I've, I'm going to go and sit in my office where I've got my pot plant and I know where the coffee machine is and it's this is my world, this is my empire. Salespeople will say, yep, get me out of here. Put me in a four-star hotel somewhere with really dodgy breakfasts where we can all do a training session all day, drink too much at night and then do it all again the next day. Fantastic because it doesn't involve selling. And I believe the reason that salespeople are like that, again, I include myself, is because rejection's horrible. Mm -hmm. And sales involves a lot of rejection. So when I started doing sales training for people, I would turn around and say, look, sales is about one thing, and it's about getting enough no's. People go, well, you set yourself a target of no's. So if you're cold calling, you know, sitting at your desk and you've got a lead sheet of 30 leads, oh, you think, oh, this is intimidating, this is difficult. Just say to yourself, right, I'm going to phone this, I'm going to call this thing, I'm going to start at the top, go down to the bottom, I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep calling back and doing the callbacks. Oh, yeah, can you call later? There's nobody answering, leave a voicemail, blah, blah. I'm going to keep going until I get 25 defin definitive no's. 
And if you do that and you get to 22, you think, okay, well, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'll keep going, keep going. Come on. Nearly there, nearly there. I can finish. I can finish. I can finish. I can. You start beginning to see a no as a positive. And you start beginning to think, okay, that's a no. Great. That's another one off there. A couple more of those. I can go to the pub. Because inadvertently, you'll get some yeses. <laughs> oh, a yes. Oh, that's not going to cut towards my total. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> get on. Get another call. Get another call. Sure. <laughs> and obviously, this is psychological trickery of the of the lowest order. You're just conning yourself, and you know you're conning yourself. However, it makes it all so much more bearable, and it takes away. A lot of, and this is something I'm world class at, procrastination. Mm -hmm. Because I just sit there and go, whatever rubbish I come up with now about how I have to research this and check that and do this and make sure that I've got my ducks in a row about this. Oh, what about competitive offerings? I need to do a bit more research on those before I make any calls. I'm going to just make a fool of myself. However much of that I do, my day isn't done until I make those 25 calls. So I am going to make those 25 calls now. And yeah, I know I'm going to fail because I haven't done the research of the competitor properly and that's going to be the weakness and, uh, you know, it's just going to fall apart. Yes, you say. Oh, right. Okay, uh, well, I'll come back to you. Boom, boom, boom. Because ultimately selling is a numbers game. And the art of managing salespeople or training salespeople is getting them to understand that it's a numbers game and that no is just a necessary part of yes. Now, I've spent 18 minutes saying that. And then TJ wrote a show note, <laughs> which is, just, just bear with me here, folks. Ten words. He said it in ten words. TJ, what did I just say? Optimize for fast and frequent failure. Success is a byproduct. That's why he gets the big bucks. <laughs> Well, this the, that idea. I'm sort of paraphrasing myself from, you know, there's a tech industry thing. Feel fast. If you're going to do something and it's not going to work, make it not work fast so you can get on to whatever will work. So, the, the, mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm cribbing from various places here, but it it's such a fascinating flip, and it is a psychological thing, right? There's no difference in the actual actions you're taking. Um, you're just optimizing for something different, and I think for me a lot of that kind of mentality around those kind of sales. And I hate that kind of sales thing. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. But I have had to do it in the past. And it is that daunting, like, oh, what if they say no? Oh, what if they say no? Well, they're probably going to, statistically speaking, they'll say no. That's kind of the, the whole thing, is that they'll probably say no. No matter how good your pitch is, no matter how well-dressed you are, no matter how excellent, well-researched your whole patter might be, they'll probably say no. So if you're expecting and nay hoping for a no, because it's one more checkbox, and all of a sudden you go in going, look, stakes are low. I'm looking for a no. You're probably going to give me one. I'm going to give you my pitch. If you like it, we can talk. And beyond that, everything's gravy. It, it really yep. does, I think, just change the way you feel about it. And, and it's so, human brains are such a strange, fascinating thing in that we can be really anxious or really worried or really annoyed by something. And then someone says one thing and we go, oh, actually, I'm none of those things anymore. I'm fine. You go, what? I'm sorry, pardon? That's, <laughs> you know, computers don't work like that. Robots don't work like that. People work like that. And it's it's such a fascinating part of our psychology, our physiology that we can go, oh, 
what if the thing I was worried about was the thing I wanted? And your brain's like, yeah, all good here. Sounds great. Let's do it. <laughs> I just think it's marvelous that you can, you can hack your brain by just wanting the opposite of what you want. Uh, and, and yeah, that's a large sort of normalization of what's happening. But I think it's there's something there. I, I mean, the, obviously, from my point of view, I'm completely sold on this because it works. And it worked for me as a coping strategy because I was yeah. having all of those horrible things of, oh, look, you know, I'm an operations manager. I'm not really a sales manager. I'm, I shouldn't be doing this. We should be, you know, we should have those people who, you know, like talking and stuff and like people. People who like people, they should be doing this. Not me. Um, but I was aware that, you know, this was my business. We'd, we'd put our money into this. We'd put our effort into this. We were betting that we could make this work. And once I'd got myself to the sort of stage where I thought, okay, obviously I can just say this is all a complete failure and, you know, fire myself. Or... I can say, right, okay, I'm just going to do all that I can do. So I'm going to make sure that I'm wearing the right stuff. I'm going to make sure that I, I know uh, my my product, which I knew anyway. I know my pitch. And then I'm just going to go in and I'm just going to say all these things. And I'm just going to keep saying them to people. And sure, I'll listen to them. I'll take notes so that I can get better. And all of those things that you would hope salespeople do. I mean, all of those techniques, all of that um, wisdom that's been sort of built up over over i suppose centuries is all true it's all good stuff you know you need people who engage you need to to talk to people you need to listen to people you need to do all those things but at the end of the day you've got to set your own expectations properly and you need to be at a point where you can say to somebody all right well thank you very much for listening listen it's been really good talking to you and look at them and smile and be happy with your day yeah because you do that and trust me that person then looks at you and thinks have I missed something here? Because I just, <laughs> I just, I just blown no. this guy out of the water, and he he doesn't seem bothered by it at all. And <laughs> you know, you're you're memorable for for that very reason. Yeah, and that in itself, you know, in the long term, can feed into sales. But what it was was just trying to, as you say, optimize for uh, for persistence and for frequency you know, realize that the faster you get to 100 rejections, the faster you will get to 10 deals. And what would you say the conversion rate is? And this is a, a big sort of guesstimation, but percentage-wise, what would you say the, the, the success rate is of, in 100 candidates? Uh, of 100 potential deals, you mean? Yeah. Um, well, it would depend on the markets that you were in and stuff. I mean, in a really competitive market like the UK, I would say it was probably uh, you would get two out of five interest, one out of five convert, something like that. Okay. So yeah, ultimately, 20%. one in five. You get, yeah, you get, f you get, you get the four no's. Um, one might be a long, lingering no that you had to invest more time into, which is annoying. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because you, you, again, you, uh, as you say, you soon realise then that the best no's are the ones that are just fast, definitive. No. Yeah, yeah. I'm not interested. Why not? Because I've done Western Union. I'm not interested in doing this stuff. It's all a pain in the back. So go away. Okay, fine. <laughs> no problem. Point taken. So Happy I'm to off. leave. <laughs> um, uh, but then in other places, uh, I suppose the recent, the thing I've just started doing, I've, I've been given two leads, and at the moment, I'm uh, well. I'm over two. I've, I've got no no's. 
Um, one one was a yes, and the other was a um, I need to speak to my boss. Blah blah. blah. So that's going to be a long lingering yes or a no, but uh, it's not a no yet. Um, and it doesn't really matter. The the uh, success rate doesn't matter. That's a byproduct. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, it's not found, a million miles different from what I've discussed before, which is uh, making films. And I think it's the same with any creative process. You have to make a certain number of bad things before you can make a good thing. And that's all of your learning and your sort of experience on page, if you're writing or experience in film building. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's something that we were taught when I was back in film school. It's something that I, I watched and read and learned from many, many other people beyond the course. And it was like, you're going to make bad films. You are 100% going to make bad films. No one comes out, picks up a camera and makes a masterpiece. It doesn't happen because you don't know how to do it. You will make mistakes. You will make cringeworthy moments that you think, oh, that's all. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Can't have that. You'll look back 10 years from now and go, what was I thinking? What was I on? But every now and again, you look back and go, oh, yeah, that's better than the last one. And that, that's that's actually, a, that's a good idea. That could be something. And you have to make the bad films so you can build up the capacity and the ability and the understanding to be able to make the good films. And it's not the same equation, but it's the same thought process of like, if you're discouraged by the first film that you enter to, I don't know, film festival, and they go, no, which I've done. I've entered films into film festivals. And I thought it like, this is the greatest thing I have ever crafted. It is so carefully constructed. I've thought about it so much. It's so deep in its introspective nature. And you submit it and they go, no, sorry. Like, but, but why? But it's my, ah. And you fall into a deep longing sense of ennui. (laughs) Realistically, you should be going, right, how many, how many festivals can I get entered to before lunch? 37? Looks good. Yeah, and I think that the one critical difference between the two two, um, processes is that there is a qualitative aspect to that filmmaking process where experience tells uh, confidence in your in your own uh, craft yeah. and art builds, and you will progressively make uh, better films. Some of my worst sales meetings have brought some of my best deals, and most of my best sales meetings have led to no deal. <laughs> they're, they're, so the, yeah, there there really is no uh, quality sort of link as you, I mean, there can be, of course, but as you pointed out earlier, statistically, I will go into someone with a product. So I'm not going into, I mean, the products, uh, let's say I'm selling money transfer. I'm not going into Tesco's and saying, would you like to do this deal that involves sitting around with a load of cash and some leaflets, which is just never going to happen in a Tesco. I'm going into the right fit of retailer. So the people I'm speaking to should be appropriate for the product that I'm pitching. So it should all work. You've done all that stuff in advance. That's how you've built your target list and all those things. However, the person that you speak to may have a dislike for the product that you're selling, may have a Mm -hmm. problem with the company that you're representing, may believe that his business is best being a single soul-focused business, 
a whole bunch of things that you're going to have no, it may just be in a lousy mood. You're going to have no control over any of that. And of course, you want to give your best pitch. Um, and you want to be, you know, pressing all the right buttons and doing all the right things. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the person that I phoned up the other day, first lead for this new project that I'm doing, got a lead through, uh, you know, Stuart, you know, do you think you'd be okay to get into, you know, should we have a huddle? No, so it's fine. Um, I, f I phoned the guy up. Uh, I made the spiel up you know, off the top of my head on the phone. Listen, I've been giving your name. Bye. I think this bar, but do you think it'd be a good idea to meet and have a chat? I think it'd be a great idea. Fantastic. You free on Wednesday? No, I can't do Wednesday. How about Monday? Okay, good. Boom. Done. There's nothing, it's nothing about what I've done or said. <laughs> it's just that the product is something that interests that that merchant. Yeah. So, yeah. That might be interesting. And I might still blow it. Who knows? However, the fact that the lead came, the phone call was made, bang. And that's the the mentality that I think you have to have as a salesperson is okay, I've just I've just got to make these calls. Because even the ones that go terribly wrong, you learn from. And you you learn which questions maybe to avoid or which questions to ask first. Or, you know, yeah. <laughs> any of those things. There, there's all sorts of sort of training and intellectual stuff going on here. But actually, when it comes down to it, the one thing that will always win in sales is persistence. Always. If, if hmm. you send out the best salesman in the world and he has 10 meetings and you send me out and I have a 1,000 meetings, I will get more deals than him. Yeah. <laughs> Bingo. Easy. <laughs> Number scheme. <laughs> um, well, the great thing is with that, when you're then training salespeople, you just say to them, look, you don't have to be good. You really don't have to be good. What you have to be is dedicated. You want to be the best salesperson in this group? Have more meetings than anyone else in this group. And you'll do it. And that, when people actually get that, and they look at the, you know, the sales director, you say, that you, can, you can sell more than the sales director. Have more meetings. Get up earlier. Go to bed later. You know, all of those types of things. It, it becomes empowering rather than intimidating. Because all salespeople are essentially intimidated, even the ones that pretend they aren't. He says, looking at himself in a mirror. <laughs> Sorry, you were asking, uh, how many other things can this be applied to? Yeah, where else do you think this, this rings true or can be applied? I, I think if you take this and the variants that you're talking about um, in many, 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 many places, like uh, writing, certainly, um, you may keep keep writing books and eventually write a good one. Rejection letters, uh, I suppose, for publishing is a similar idea yeah. of like, I want to get 15 nopes today. Because again, I suppose that's an interesting one because it's the same equation you're talking about where it could be the right book at the right time and the wrong publisher. It could be the right sure. book and the right publisher at the wrong time. You know, it, there are so many things out of your hands that it's statistics rather than effort in a lot of cases. Yeah, and there's you know countless stories of of books that have gone to you know all the Harry Potter books um, having been rejected by you know publisher after publisher after publisher agent after agent after it and then people just go nah no good um, and then it gets to market and it's you know huge yeah. smash hit made made more than more than one person millionaire uh, so I think any creative endeavour 
you get that quality impact as well. That the more you practice, the better you will get at it. Um, and you know, in the the sort of worky environment, um, well, where else was it? I mean, where did I first come across this? I suppose upselling, you know, um, where I used to train counter staff who would be negotiating with somebody across a counter. Um, and they would be negotiating about rates and also commissions. And generally speaking, customers were asking to pay less commission or get a better rate. Surprise, surprise. Not, not many customers asked to get a worse deal. Um, <laughs> and, and what I would train people to do would be to, to turn that around and say, okay, I can get you a better rate if you can give me more money. And so the, the objective for, for my staff was, okay, on the first deal you were making 10 bucks. Can you now make a deal where you make 15 bucks, but the customer gets a better deal? Yeah. Because that's, and then you get back into training speak, and that's win win. Yay. It's not win-win. synergy. The customer was <laughs> going to spend $10, yeah. and now they spent 15 So it's not really win win at all. But hey, we're trainers. We can make everything win. So I've done that, that in the post office when I've been doing currency exchange, and they'll go, <laughs> and this is maybe a micro version of that where they're like, right, can I have 300 euros, please? And they go, if you give me. 279 pounds and 47 pence i can give you 350 euros and you're like oh, i just made 50 euros like, okay. no you've just All paid right. 40 pounds more <laughs> but yeah that's exactly how it works that that sort of upselling thing and you know customers uh, we used to we used to do lots of competitions for for cashiers and get them competing against each other um and lots of them would come to me and would say but you know why does that guy, you know, his figures are always unbeatable. Why does why does he do more of these upsells? Why does he get more of those deals? And you just say, well, look, watch him. And then you, after an hour or so, you say, okay, how many deals did he do? He did 10 transactions. How many did he try and upsell? All of them. There you go. <laughs> if he tries to upsell all the deals and a couple work, great. If you try and upsell one deal and it works, You've still missed the other nine. <laughs> yeah, and myth busted. That's all it was. <laughs> yeah, that's all it was. It was all very straightforward, all very simple. It's all about trying, asking for the sale, ask for the sale, ask for the sale, ask for. It. People don't like doing it because they don't like rejection. And uh, I used to in training courses. I used to give people uh, ten to one odds. So uh, I would say, this is bureau de change counter training. And I would say to any cashier in any country, because I used to train in Italy, I used to train in Spain, I used to train in France. And I would say to any cashier, I'd say, okay, I will bet 100 euros or 100 francs at the time against your 10 francs. Head to head on a till. So we have a till each, if you like, you know, a little glass window each. Any day, any branch, I will get more commission than you. I'll beat you. And nobody would ever take the deal because of the, uh, I was the trainer. I was the trainer. Everybody knows the trainer. <laughs> um, because obviously doing these type of upsells and transactions is really easy in an environment that you entirely control. So you're the customer as well as, as, well as the cashier. So, and you say this and they say that and you all make money. It's fantastic. Okay, everybody have a great day. Um, but it actually, it was true because I learned how to train from being a cashier. So I was the trainer that actually works behind counters. So people would see me working 
and they knew that I wasn't making this stuff up. This was stuff that I did. And okay, I used lots of techniques and lots of selling, upselling, and all that sort of, you know, very posh, clever stuff that you could do. But the when I look back at it, the key to what I was saying was that every single customer is an opportunity. So TJ walks in and says, hi, I've got a hundred pounds. I want euros because this is Paris and they use euros here. That's essentially the what, what you're here for. And Thomas Cook, American Express, all these companies were saying, Mr. Cosgrove, lovely to see you. Certainly, sir. Here you are. Here's your European beer tokens. Have fun. <laughs> I was saying, Mr. Cosgrove, I'm betting that there's more of those British beer tokens in your wallet. And I'm going to try and get them out of your wallet and turn them into European beer tokens to save you all the hassle of having to come back here and do it all again. And I'll tell you what, we will do it at a better rate than you'll get from those nasty people at Thomas Cook or American Express so that you get a better deal. So that you walk away thinking, oh, I've saved myself 50 quid. And I sit there thinking, I've just made myself 40 quid I wasn't going to make. Boom. <laughs> and again, if I do that to every customer, I'm going to make more money than the guy next to me. And that's, that's all I was doing, was just trying to sell everything. And believe me, there were plenty of, plenty of TJs would come in and say, no, thanks. <laughs> I, I've asked to change £100 because I want to change £100. Now just change £100 and shut up. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. What's annoying to me, TJ, is that you, you have to get to 50, be 50 before you finally understand all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. If I'd known this when I was 20, I'd be a billionaire by now. It is funny how you, you kind of, you need to go through lifetime effort, energy, all these different things. And then you get to the end of it and you're like, ah, right, now I have the stuff I need to the start and I'm now at the end. Crap. Yep. But, <laughs> I mean, I, I look back now and go, all those times I was at conferences where I could have been just selling stuff. All those huddles I was in. <laughs> just, you know, 16 consecutive 45 minute meetings about nothing yeah i was the first person to you know to fill up my i everybody use outlook yeah microsoft outlook calendar yeah meetings here meetings there book me a meeting yep yep jenny jenny book me a meeting there yeah get me a meeting with that fellow yep yep meeting booking meeting meeting and now i see you say you want a meeting with me i i look at you askance why <laughs> what do you want Look, I just need 15 minutes. You can have five. Okay. I don't know. Wisdom. It comes too late in life. It's it's one of God's tricks upon us. Why doesn't he make us born wise? Yeah. <laughs> Answer me that. Possibly, possibly not this evening. Give so. me about, I don't know, 40 years, and then I can get back to you. <laughs> so there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, the, the acquired... The entire acquired wisdom of my career is that if you try and sell more stuff, occasionally you'll sell stuff. So, <laughs> it's quite a sad indictment, isn't it? But there you go. <laughs> I've been Stuart Lennon. And I've been TJ Cosgrove. Remember to make the past, the present, in the future, no matter how many times it takes. <laughs> this was 1857.